0: The Europeans were really really good so it was always just assumed they would even get touches like we would again the two lights would go off and then the European would get the touch and the American would be like out of luck because they're like well the American isn't good enough to like know how to fence right so that's how the attitude was Um, and then we would watch them I'd watch the Italians like crazy because I was using some of their techniques and I sat down with Felicia I was like, I don't know about this. How are we going to be able to beat them? And she's like, Come in close. So let me tell you something. I was <laughs> like, What?
1: I don't even remember. She that. was
0: like, There is no secret sauce. Yeah. There is no secret sauce. Everyone has what they have. Just because they're from Italy doesn't mean they have a secret weapon in their in, in their bag. There's none of that. And I think when I, I became a performance coach because everyone's like, oh, you're an Olympian. You've got the secret sauce. I don't have any secret sauce. I had to figure out just like you, I put one pant leg on and the other pant leg on. You know, there is just no secret sauce. There is consistency, there's hard work, there's all of that. But I mean, I learned at a very young age, Felicia was definitely that person. When she was trailblazing, She's like, that's what I figured out on my own. I was in Germany watching them train And there is just no secret sauce to do the same things that you and I
2: do. All right. Welcome to The Path of Stilled. I'm your host, Kevin Harris. My co-host is Lauren Tashman.
3: Hi, everybody. Welcome to the show.
2: And we're so excited today. We have... Olympians ancestors. We have Felicia and Iris Zimmerman today. They made the Olympics and they're one of the few Olympians that were siblings making on the same team. So welcome to the show today.
1: Hi, yeah, me and us. <laughs> yeah.
2: So tell us a little bit uh, kind of what you do now. And we'll, once you do that, we'll take go back to the beginning of your story and kind of take the listeners along.
0: First of all, I want to clarify we're not twins.
2: Oh, i to be very clear. <laughs>
0: No, because people think we're twins, but I want to make it very clear: Felicia's five and a half years older than I. Am, so.
3: <laughs> she wanted to start right there with that, Felicia. <laughs> very clear. Thank you for. for the older sister
0: yeah. <laughs> well, I'm only 25. I don't know about you. But... <laughs> go ahead. Do you want to tell your where what you're doing and what you're up to, Felicia? You want to go first?
1: Sure, since I'm the oldest. Um... <laughs> Well, I am the owner of the Rochester Fencing Club in Rochester, New York. And this is the club that my sister and I originally trained out of. It has gone through a couple different ownerships and we are the third. So our fencing coach from when we started was the owner. Then it passed off to Susan Clinton who was um, the manager because he had left after a while. Um, And then my sister and I took it over in 2009 And we've had it ever since then. And then recently, she decided that she was going to add another chapter to her career path. And so I decided to stay on as the owner. And I also split my time between here and in Egypt because I I live in Egypt, the country of So I live in Cairo, near the Pyramid.
3: Wow. Wow. Like, well, I like definitely that. want to hear more about the business, and I also want to hear how you manage owning a business from the other side of the world.
0: <laughs> she just glosses over things. That's the best part. About it. She's running like, a
3: business I... from Egypt. <laughs> oh yeah,
0: I was just a business consultant for a Allen Hamilton. And then, uh, this. Oh yeah, that too. Um, so. Yeah, so I think Felicia's pretty humble and I'm I'm the more probably gregarious outgoing one so I'll t- I'll brag a lot about Felicia and during the pandemic, it's been unbelievable what she's been doing to keep the kids safe. They've continued to be able to fence, which has been huge because otherwise they're sitting around. The parents don't know what to do with them, and uh, and and creating an environment for our, for our kids and for our coaches to be safe and all doing that from uh, Cairo and also during a time when my father, both my parents actually got COVID in, in the spring. So. Um, when it first started. So she, she is the manager of all the things stressful of our family. So (laughs) Um, for me, what I'm doing is I get a chance to work with uh, Dr. Lauren Tashman at uh, Valor Performance, and we are uh, performance coaches. And that, that is the chapter of my life that I'm in right now, Um, really digging in deep to being a performance coach. I also work at Valor Performance as well um, as a project manager doing various, this and that's within a startup, which has been really fun and very similar uh, to a lot of what Felicia and I experienced when we owned the Fencing Club together. I mean, when you own a business, not that I do this for the startup, but when you own a business, you go from like cleaning cleaning the floor, the toilets, the locker rooms, to making big decisions on, okay, you know, what are we going to charge members? Now we're going to move the club. And Felicia actually owns the, the building that, we're, that we moved to. Um, so we kind of tripled the size of our fencing club uh, during our nine years of ownership. So the other thing I would be remiss to say what I'm doing now, because it takes up a lot of time, energy, emotional energy, is raising two children, <laughs> ages six and eight. So I have two daughters. So a lot going on.
3: Especially during the pandemic when you're also their teacher.
0: that's been fun that's been fun too yeah
2: (laughs) so i'm curious how did uh i'm assuming felicia that you got into fencing first or did it happen at the same time
1: right so i was eight when i started and that would make iris what (laughs) five five yeah um so uh basically no younger than that right yeah yeah, yeah, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. So, she, yeah, Felicia, um, come on. <laughs> I know I'm just trying to recover the, the your older part. Um <laughs> So, uh I started going actually I, my dad read a newspaper article about fencing and I was doing a lot of um activities in the summer, swimming, diving, gymnastics. My parents always had us in activities during the summer it kept our, um, you know, book pretty full a lot over the summer. So we weren't idle. And um, I guess it's because both of my parents are immigrants. So they're like, go, go, go. And, and I was, and I had a lot of, en- a lot of energy. So my father read a newspaper article about fencing. He decided that I was also too shy and that I needed to, to be able to defend myself. So I, um, went and I really went honestly kicking and screaming I was arguing with him the entire car ride over that hasn't changed that hasn't changed It's (laughs) kind of like yeah (laughs) Uh, and then I got there and I put that mask on and I think that when I think about it more I think that mask that you put on your face even though you can see through it you can see everyone very clearly I think that's what helped me feel safe and that I could be anyone who I wanted to be so I was like wonder woman so, um, and I and you could fence boys, you could fence the girls in practice, you could fence adults, because it was a very small club. So everybody fenced everybody and I just loved it. And that was it. And he was like, well, we, we don't have to do any more classes. I just want to make sure you try things and then you can say no. And then I said, well, you know, you already paid for all the packages, <laughs> keep going. And later on, you know, by uh, 1990, Two, I was the first alternate, Um, so I think you know, (laughs) it was it was it was an interesting ride. So yeah,
0: let's let's just not gloss over being seventeen years old and the first alternate to the nineteen ninety two Olympic Games to Barcelona. So I just don't want to gloss over that.
3: (laughs) I was gonna say we're not. We're gonna come back to that in a second. Iris, tell us about what your entry to the sport was like.
0: Yeah. So Felicia did say, and I think this is really an important point. Both of our parents are immigrants right? So for them, um, it was important to have something to prove. We're in another country. We're really trying to push ourselves. My mom is, uh, if you don't know what a tiger mom is, she is under the definition of tiger mom. I mean, we did everything to the nth degree, Chinese school, music, fencing, and everything had to be done very well. Uh, When I was training for the second Olympic Games, my mother was like, you're not done with this hobby? Um, So for her, it was like, no matter what you do, you do it like to the nth degree and you do it really well. So if you do a sport, you might as well make an Olympic team. So that was, that's how we grew up and uh, my mother would uh, take Felicia to the fencing club. And of course I am younger. And so um, I was little and we would follow her to the club and, and spend hours there. So I had that advantage as a younger kid, um, watching the, watching my sister, seeing what she was about, knowing the environment. So it was really, really comfortable for me to finally be able to jump onto the fencing strip and be able to do the things that my sister did. And I did a lot of that my whole life. Uh, whatever Felicia's doing, we're going to jump into it too. Um, so that was that was it. And what kept me in it wasn't just having Felicia there, although that was a huge bonus. It was the kids. I really enjoyed being around the kids. We had a really good time. Um, There's even some like VHS footage of me dancing and fencing. So it was always really, really fun. I didn't, I was really not good at any other sport. I remember swimming, they were like, "Uh, maybe she should try the like other class again, like repeat that class. (laughs) Yeah, so I had to repeat a whole lot of things and fencing was the one thing that I actually felt like I was very good at and I was always, Bigger and stronger, um, so it was a place I felt like my skills were being were being seen, and and um, it was just a lot of fun.
1: Well, my fencing coach definitely had an eye on her, and he gave her this like mini foil when she was in her little dresses, and she so she loved wearing little frilly dresses <laughs> <was a> little <laughs>
0: Pan leather and
1: shoes little, <laughs> Pan leather shoes too. They always had to be these certain kinds of shoes, and he gave her this. He made her this like mini fencing weapon and like drew a little circle and a dot on the wall and she would just you know go stab at it. So, you know, therefore, <laughs> just, you there was no choice
3: before or. she knew it.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I think partly my mom didn't. It takes. In Rochester, nothing takes more than uh, 20 minutes to get to. And this was like over 20 minutes to get to the fencing club. And I think my mom was like, I do not want to schlep my children to another place. So they're all <laughs> going to do the same sport.
2: Felicia, were you, did you know right away that you were going to take it seriously or how did the serious involvement come along?
1: Yeah. So, no, I didn't really think about it that much. And I was just training and, and fencing and I um, clearly loved winning. <laughs> <laughs> i love going to tournaments i think one was tournaments we had were around rochester so they were buffalo maybe sometimes out in poughkeepsie mm-hmm. um so we would drive to them and i was and we had a manager because my parents couldn't also afford going with us so we had a manager of the team and she was our second mom sue uh also another previous owner and she basically kind of took care of us and made sure we were in bed and do all those things but for me it was like an escape I could just be away from home and and have all these other friends and this whole other life outside of school and so to me you know I would not want to sacrifice that so for me it was a great escape and um, you know being away from your parents was fun but yes we had rules and everything like I was the youngest so I had to always be in bed at a certain time and i was always mad about it but i got to drive in a van with all the older kids and you know get to listen to interesting music so um it was it was really really fun and then i think around um 1988 and 84 you know i was watching the olympics and um i remember um you know going to the fight at that point it kind of got more absorbed, I went to see the finals at the national championships and my coach had to sit down and watch the finals of the men's and the women's fencing. And it was really amazing to me. Like I was thinking, oh, they're so tall and so fast. And and then I was interviewed actually by the DNC about the fencing club. And, and you know, I was just kind of poking around and I didn't really think about the Olympics at that time. And then it wasn't until really 91, 92, when I was starting to actually Um, have a chance of making the Olympic team where you could smell it, you know, like, wow, this is getting really real. Um, And, you know, the local, obviously the local tournaments became national tournaments. I mean, I was pretty young. I was 14, 15. I had already, you know, traveled once to Europe to fence at that point. So it was, um, it was becoming more real. And because it was more real, like, oh, I can actually do something like the Olympics. That's, that's when it um, became more and more exciting.
2: And so what is your practice looking like at this point?
1: So I would say that at the height of (laughs) practicing when I was in high school, I was, um, my old coach and I would laugh about this. He would come and pick me up at, you know, six o'clock in the morning. I think sometimes in his tiny VW bug, we live in Rochester, New York, where the winters are merciless and, um, I don't think there was a defrost function on the <laughs> BW Bug and I remember having to hold the ice scraper, stick my hand out of the windshield, scrape <laughs> the ice. We were at red lights and he, we, both of us were like scraping from both sides and he had these tiny little windshield wipers, you know, and he would pick, and pick me up, we'd go to, the, go to the Y and we would swim. And then um, I would go to school. And then of course my hair, as Iris can attest to, would freeze over in the winter, you know? And he'd drop me off at school, my hair would defrost. And I'd be exhausted at classes, um, especially earth science for some reason, I would always (laughs) drop off. And then, uh, you know, and then I would um, finish school and I would around 2.30, maybe three, and then um, catch the bus, Go to the fencing club, um, or someone would come pick me up. We'd go to the fencing club, I'd have my lunch/slash dinner, uh, fence, take a lesson, and then also on Saturdays, if I didn't have Chinese school or I was, um, I'd do a half day at Chinese school and then I would go to the fencing club, workout. Did a lot of workouts as well, and in the summer. So I would say you would get in, you would clock in a good, you know, four, four and a half, five hours a day with training depending on what day it was, and we would train often Monday through Friday, half, you know, a little bit on a Saturday, or we'd be competing. When you compete at that time, it was, you do multiple events uh, over the weekend. So, you know, I also fenced two weapons sometimes because, um, uh, at that time we had this thing called the operation gold program with us Olympic committee. And basically, when you compete and you win, you know, first, second, or third, they would give you a small, you know, couple hundred or a thousand dollars for your travel. You, they would hold it for you or give it to the Federation. You write receipts for your travel, you send it in, and then they reimburse you for your travel. So I was thinking, okay, I have to get get to these World Cups. I have to get to these competitions. I need new equipment. You know, my parents weren't, you know, wealthy by any means. So um, I was also fencing foil and epee. There are three weapons in fencing, and foil and epee are very similar to each other in terms of their point weapons. You have to hit with the tip, and so I was like, okay, I'll do some epee, um, and I ended up doing quite well there. I was um, the gold medalist, and you know, in the under 17 category, silver medalist in the under 20 category for epee, as well as winning you know national championships um, in in foil and epee, and NCAA champion in, in both weapons.
0: She's the only female to ever win NCAA championships in two weapons. It's unbelievable. And in the Stanford Hall of Fame
2: for that. That's amazing.
3: So as you're starting to, it sounds like, really pursue this very seriously, Iris, what's your experience like at this time? It's great to be a younger sister. It really
0: is. (laughs) You're like drafting. You know, it's like like,
3: you're like drafting behind
0: someone because Felicia is the child of immigrants. And she was the first one to do everything, right? Like my parents didn't know what Halloween was, what all this stuff is. She's like, all right, this is how we're going to do Halloween. This <laughs> is how we're going to do Christmas. Like, this is how people American, like this is how we American. And like, so, so she's teaching me, I'm drafting, I'm picking up the things that I want to pick up. And, um, it, you know, for me, it was always fun. I, I don't remember a time where it wasn't fun. Well, I do remember a time. Let's take that back. We'll get into that. <laughs> but, I, you know, when I was younger and watching Felicia, it was just like, it was amazing because Felicia was not only a groundbreaker for our family, but for the United States. We were terrible. Right now, we're great. We're amazing. And it's because Felicia, myself, and many other women that started in Rochester trailblazed in the sport of fencing. And Felicia was one of them. She was the first junior world, uh, world cup champion, which means she was number one in the world after a full year of world cup circuit. And that, that was the first time. There's a lot of firsts that Felicia had. So she had that, like, I'm thinking like machete in the jungle, right? She's like carving the path. And so for me, it was like, oh yeah, like, of course we can do this because mm-hmm. she's doing it. So why can't I do it? And we're from the middle of nowhere. I mean, to have a program in rochester new york all the fencing was only in New york city that was it like every single person who was rich <laughs> in new york city who fenced that was it and for them the way they and you asked about like how much time it took to train so fencers not to belittle what the other fencers did but no one took time off of college no one really took it that seriously i mean they took it seriously but it wasn't the same felicia and Felicia and the rest of us and our coach, he was a pentathlete. um, He took it seriously. I mean, people almost were like, that's so silly. You guys were trained so much, but he would take Felicia swimming and those things weren't done. That kind of cross training seems kind of like, duh now. But when we were doing it, people would make fun of her. When she took Uh, a year off of college or uh waited to go to college so that she could do um the olympic games and train for it people were like that's unbelievable you're gonna it's all gonna fall apart your life's gonna fall apart i can't believe you're doing this and she was one of the first and now now um fencers don't go to college because they want to continue to fence um and they want to have sponsorships i mean that was completely unheard of in the 80s and 90s so for me again it was like Felicia's doing it, and I can do it too. So it's a lot of drafting behind her. Um, so that's how I, I got started.
1: And you know, it's not as though I didn't have my own set of people that I looked up to. Um, even um, in the club, there was a person that was six years older than I was, that was like my big sister, and she Mary Joy of Sue's daughter. And you know, she put her mind into making the junior world championship team and I saw her go through that process and I was like oh I can do that too and she would always encourage me and that's the thing about the Rochester Fencing Club it was like a place where you know we we had to work together even though it's an individual sport we were always working together and there was a community behind it and, you know, I had a good friend, Ann Marsh, one of my best friends, and she would always send me postcards from wherever she was going to a Junior World Cup. And I was like, oh, one day I'll get to go with her, you know. So um, you would see these glimpses and, and it, like everybody kind of paves the way to a certain place. Like, you know, you're climbing the mountain and like the machete, <laughs> like the machete thing, you get to a clearing and then you're like, okay. And then somebody else comes along and is like, okay, let's go beyond the clearing. Let's like, what's on the other side of that? so um and that's kind of the women's foil team was pretty much like that we were just constantly just pushing each other and then we had you know the like a a fencing coach that also looked at you know trying to you know make it more um you know add in cross training add in you know additional you know training to and just to kind of really focus us because he had the experience of the pentathletes with with swimming track you know equestrian so he he understood you know what what are the things that it takes to actually like you know to compete and so he added all of these things in and he was always reading different coaching books some of them I don't agree with um, <laughs> but um, but um, you know it was definitely like Iris said it wasn't really um, it wasn't really something that the fencing coaches in the U S at, at least at my time we're thinking about doing or really focused in on it. Or maybe it was the European coaches that that were coming that were doing some things like that.
2: And so I'm curious, and this can be for either of you, but that drive, where did that come from? Was it a, is it, I heard a musician say, for example, that uh, he always felt like, if he went with his head, he would have quit music a long time ago, but it felt like something, an addiction he couldn't get rid of. Did you ever have that kind of feeling that you it's just something you had to do, regardless of how tough it got? Either
1: well, I mean <laughs> well <laughs> I, I'm a pretty driven person. I, I I think I have a natural drive to begin with. And then um then you add my mother and my parents, really my mother. She's just like, go do it. You know, like if you're going to do it, do it all the way, you know, and and um, like having a bee in school was like tragedy for her. Um, my dad was <laughs> not, not that crazy, but he had certain things that he wanted, was like, you have to do this and you have to do that. But, um and then when it came to fencing, I, it was something that I loved and I was, I understood it. So there's like a language in each of the sports and understanding and for me I understood fencing and I looked at it and I loved it and I and it was like a puzzle that I could always understand or like take apart and put back together um and um for me it was like say a safety place it was a home for me I had my friends there because school was weird and you know even me like all of us I don't know in seventh grade it was horrible we were all bullied it doesn't matter who you were uh, even if you were the most popular girl, you ended up at some part in the food chain being bullied. Um, and so for me, you know, I, it was my world. And so I love that world. And I love my, my travels. I could, you know, go to interesting places, even if it was Montreal, Canada, it's cool. Like I get to go across the border, like people speak mm-hmm. French. So I could, you know, relate to that. And I would have pen pals. So for me, it was, it was a really like a whole nother life that I could live. It was great.
0: I just, I would say plus one to everything she said, and also there's just a level of mastery, right? So it was a sport where we had a level of mastery where, you know, I told you about the swimming where they kind of like sent me to the back of the class. Uh, You can forget dancing or uh, gymnastics, but when I walked into the fencing club, um, it was a skill-based sport. So you, you'd you start to master the sport, start to be able to use it when you're fencing, and then you're getting some positive feedback and input, both from getting the hits on the other person and also feedback from others around you, including your coach. Um, you know, and I do have to stress, I mean, we didn't really have a choice. Um, my mother was very, she understood. If we, if the kids want to go to college, they want to go to a good college in the United States, the university system loves athletes. So she we just didn't have a choice. So that was part of it. And then um, I, I think just as a kid, when you're really young, you just go because my sister's there, my friends are there, I'm having a good time. And then your mother makes you all the other times you don't wanna go. As a mom, I understand the stress of that. <laughs> um, so, you know, even the times when I'm very tired, I don't want to go. She's putting me in the car. I might be crying and she's taking me there. I'm not saying that's a good, that's a good way to go because it really doesn't feel great. Um, but we just had no choice. And I think those kind of things manifest in both success, but also manifest in things that aren't great either. So anytime you have extremes, um, then it can be uh, detrimental later on. You're going to have to deal with that extreme somewhere. Um, and Felicia and I both have had to deal with not just my mothers, but I, I think we're also glossing over how intense our coach was. Um, so, and I know that Lauren knows some of my story and I'm very, very open about it because I do think it was very much how people felt that they were supposed to drive um, athletes. Um so you don't want to do it or you're not getting it right, then bam, we'll hit you, yell at you, something will happen in order to correct the behavior. And, uh, and that wasn't, it's something I talk about a lot um, and I bring up in every podcast uh, because I think it is important that, to know that when people do go extreme ways, the balance gets out of balance. Sure. Um, and
2: it's
3: fascinating, <clears throat> sorry Kevin, jump in, it's fascinating what you were just getting on there so give us a little insight into now kind of back into the fencing world and you're now both taking it seriously and you know this uh, olympic dream is a possibility tell us what that was like
1: stressful (laughs) intense it was really intense um i think there's two two phases right there was the um, 2000 Olympics that both of us attended. And in that in that particular year, both of us were um, by by midseason, both of us pretty much made the team. So we were very locked in into into the team. It was really about who would be the fourth and was, you know, first. I think Iris was second, I was third or whatever combination of that. And then really it was about who was going to be the fourth, the first alternate. Um, So that, that year was, it was still very intense because at that point when the team was fairly locked in, we could focus on how we were going to function as a team. Mm -hmm. So we also not only have individual events, we have team events and um, we really focused in on how, what we're you know, who would be the starter, who's the finisher, how are you know, what are the tactics of the team event? Um, there's still a lot to deal with because you're training Rochester, New York was the national training center for the women's foil team. And we had eight out of the top 10 women training all at the same time, all the time. Um, and that was in 96 and in 2000, in 2000 it was maybe like five out of the 10 or six out of the 10, but still was the national team. And, it, you know, A and B members and it was really intense because um every practice was, you know, a competition, <laughs> whether you liked it or not, whether you were focusing on something for yourself or not you know let's say you had a personal goal for yourself okay I want to do this action or these tactics I want to execute this successfully today on three different people and you and at the same time you're the fencing coach or you know whoever's leading practices today we're going to do a pool of 10 and the top three get to move on into this other bracket you're like uh okay well I had other plans for today and then there's this added pressure so, um, you know, or you're not feeling well, it's not, you're just like not into it that day. And suddenly you have to do the team event, you know, practice team event, and you're just like, like losing it, you know, and <laughs> there's times where we're just, some of us would just be screaming and then just like leave the room. Um, yeah. there was a lot of intensity and stress, um, in that, in that room, uh, we didn't necessarily always carry it outside. I think we, we did a fairly good job of leaving it at leaving it on the floor um but you know there's always a little spillover it's emotional and fencing is a very raw sport because you get direct feedback immediately like you you're on the ground you have the weapon in your hand you go forward and then someone's like hitting you at the same time so you're getting and that's why it's kids get very um uh emotional in the sport at a very young age because it's immediate feedback like you know exactly where you are at any given time i'm down three one i'm i'm in 3 Oh, i pulled that out i won five four or whatever um so it's it's a it's about managing your emotions as well and i think in for 2004 it was a different case and i'm i'm iris i'm i'm, I'm, I'm I think you can take it from here. <laughs> For
0: 2004. Oh, 2004, we uh, both knocked each other off of teams. So, <laughs> uh, so that's another story because there's only one who qualified, and neither of us did. So, um, yeah, so it was it was very stressful. But I do think um, I was also trying to be a junior at the same time. I was applying to colleges, so I had a little bit of uh, mental break. Um, and also being the youngest, it's a little bit easier. And I had a really good season the year before. So I think it was a little less stressful, but, um, but it is a very stressful event to prepare for the Olympic games. Um, it's incredibly, um, narrowing of focus. Um, so I, I think for me, I manifested that stress perhaps in overtraining. Um, I'm, you know, I, 30 let's say 36 years old, I, I had a hip replacement because, and I've had three knee surgeries because I would overtrain. And those are, those are other circumstances too, but um, I think I manifested my stress by just training a whole lot. Just like keep going at it and at it. And I, and I actually ended up before the Olympic games um, twist, twisting an ankle pretty badly. And then while I was there twisting the other ankle, because I was primed for injury right at performance time. So um, so all of that training was too much. Um, and that very much is reflective of the type of coach we had, but also just kind of what training was like for athletes in that, that time frame. Now it's very different. People know that you need to rest and that recovery is really important, but it was never that way for us. And Felicia and I definitely sustained physical
1: injuries <laughs> because of that. <laughs> yeah I mean people often say like if you're sleeping someone else's training and I think that's a really bad mantra and, and um it's a it's a very I mean we were always pushed from like a very point of fear from a from a negative place a lot I mean I think that that was often the case um I mean I remember my coach telling me as a really young kid I think I was 10 or 11, I mean, I was really young, and I think I started to do really a lot better, and my coach basically kind of set me straight, what he called setting me straight, uh, which was basically you're you're replaceable. So don't act out of, you know, basically trying to teach me how to be humble, but out of a a place of fear. Um, I think there's a place for a lot of different things that sometimes people just need to be pushed so that you know that you can get to the other side but I, I think there's a balance, right? And I think that's the one thing that's about the fencing club that my sister and I, when we first bought it was, we know what good looks like, we know what championship level looks like, but we also know the price you pay if you if you want to go a certain way um, and it doesn't have to be that way. So I think one of the most important things that we learned and what we wanted to bring to the fencing club was um, a different way to do it and still, be successful, and consider yourself a success. Um, because like like with anyone, it's it's something different when you want to take it to being an Olympian or being a world champion. That just takes a whole nother level. Um, and every person that walks in the door of whether it's a swim club, whether it's a karate studio, whether it's whatever, the majority of those kids are not looking to do that or aspiring to do, to do, to do that. But it's about setting goals for themselves and, and trying to help them achieve that and achieving it in a, in a balance, trying to achieve it in a balance or in a healthy way, making it a community. So.
2: Lauren's going to be impressed that I actually have a segue for this question. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Usually mine are all over the place, but um, having said that, I'm curious, it actually was um, on my mind before you mentioned that, but did you identify, and this could be either of you or both, did you identify yourself as an Olympic candidate or did someone else do that for either of you?
0: um felicia probably could go but because i um because i was a younger sister of someone who was already aspiring for the olympic games it was kind of a given also i think it helps i sent you guys a picture of me at 14 years old i uh, won the cadet world championship became the first american to win a world championship so there it is all of 14 with those are actually those are sweatsuits from from uh, leftover from the USA Swimming. Yeah. So we were so poor as a federation, we had to like go over to the USA Swim and be like, do you have any sweats <laughs> that we can borrow and put a label on it? Um, so that's what they did. And so that was uh, the first uh, first world champion right there. And uh, And I think after that, it was pretty clear <laughs> that I was going to follow in Felicia's footsteps. So it wasn't, uh, there was always comparisons. I mean, if you're, if you're the youngest, uh, I was right-handed, she's left-handed, you know, Iris attacks more, she does this more, she does that more, uh, Felicia does this. And so there's always these comparisons and especially you're going to get to the Olympic level.
3: Was that around, I know you guys had mentioned before that uh, Felicia, you had made the alternate, right? uh, At a young age was that, what's the timing kind of there with that? So
1: I was 92 and I was definitely in the top 16 in the junior world um, rankings. I had, I was traveling and I often traveled alone or with another teammate or, you know, met up with someone, another US person. There weren't a lot of US people. um, And in fact, I think one time I went to a competition and it was the dad of another fencer that was there. And it was just the two of us. And then I was fencing for the gold against this incredible um, Olympian, Valentina Vetsale, I mean, she's like, I think she holds the world record in fencing of, of the number of gold medals. And she, I mean, I could never figure her out. Iris, on the other hand, had her number a couple times. And at one point she's beating me so badly, like eight, one or two, <laughs> that the crowd starts cheering for me when I'm scoring points, because they felt so bad for me. <laughs> it's in her own hometown, so I was like, So, um, you know, you know, at that point in 92, um, I started moving up the ranks very, very quickly in the senior standings. That's where you select for the Olympics. And I basically at the national championships, that was the last event, um, qualifying event for the season. And I lost by one point to Molly Sullivan. (laughs) Uh, and and that really sealed the deal. If I had won, I would have been on the team. Mm. So, uh, and everybody was, you know, like looking, um, oh my God, please don't let her win. <laughs> but I wish she was like this little pencil thin. Yeah. They used to be like, she was
0: this tiny little lame, which is what we wear with long legs and long arms. And so she would frustrate everyone. That's what I heard. Um, she frustrated me a lot. I'm just gonna be clear about that too. But uh, but she was this little, I just want you to picture like this this young girl who's got like arms and legs and a tiny little postage stamp uh, fencing lame out there and she's almost making Olympic team. It's like pretty incredible.
1: Yeah, so, um, and um, yeah, that's when I knew. I mean, I knew something was on the line. I didn't really know exactly. And then when I had lost, I felt like something's not right. And my coach said, you know, if you had won, and I was like, why the hell didn't you tell me that in the beginning? You know. <laughs> so uh, I don't know it, if that would help. Would that help? I that would totally so, kill me. I think so. I don't know. I don't. Know. <laughs> I was like, nah. So
2: <laughs> no pressure, right? right. So uh, what happens next in one or both of your journeys?
0: What happens next now, or what happens no, next? No, I
3: think, yeah, tell us a little bit of what, more about the Olympic experience and kind of, it's so, it, I wanna hear, I guess, more about A, the Olympic experience, but also the fact that you are on the team you know, together, but it sounds like also comparing and competing against each other, living in the same household. So talk a little bit about more of those years of kind of Olympic pursuit and, uh, and experiences. A lot of well, traveling.
0: Yeah, a lot of traveling and putting money on credit cards. I was, we had maxed out, Felicia was in charge of that. We had maxed out credit card upon credit card. And so when people say, Olympic athletes get things paid for, uh, they haven't talked to all the Olympic athletes because uh, we were we were maxing out cards. Um, but besides that, I do have a, a nice photo of us uh, that I sent you of uh, the two of us uh, at the 2000 Olympic games. and. What was it? Bill Blass? Bill Blass. He did our, uh, organized our uh, blazers. And uh, I don't know what I'm doing with the like tie there. Um, <laughs> but we had those hats. Felicia opted no on the hat. Uh, we're sitting in the uh, stadium. Had red
1: hair. Come
0: on. You had red hair. It was awesome. Uh, we were sitting in the stadium waiting to walk in with the rest of the athletes. And Felicia and I remember it, and I think for, I'm gonna speak for you, Felicia. <laughs> I think our best experience there, um, besides almost winning a bronze medal, is uh, walking into the opening ceremony together. I mean, we were we won tickets for my parents uh, to make it to the Olympic Games Stadium oh, to come watch uh, us. And we were, like, even now I'm thinking about it, I'm like, so great um so it was very emotional we walked in together hand in hand and we knew the historical uh significance of it there's not a whole lot of sibling sets um that get a chance to walk into the olympic stadium together and compete together and it was pretty that was pretty incredible um that experience was pretty incredible those outfits equally as incredible
1: yeah there were skirts those blue and white star skirts and the craziest thing is they had this enormous ramp with and they had us in these like heels thing shoes. I don't know why. And um how are you gonna get athletes crammed into these like dainty shoes. And um, we're walking down the ramp and it's like very, very steep. You know, <laughs> like trying not to follow it's like I don't want to injure myself before I go to this event but even even training at the olympics um we got there we went to oh we went to hawaii right mm. um, yeah. before and and then we went to sydney the other rest of the olympic team trained in melbourne and then we got to sydney and um training there was also intense i had a huge fight with my coach at that tournament because he just he he manifests his um nervousness in other ways and goes crazy during these world championship these big time events like he just loses his mind so um you know i had to just i had to well because it's me <laughs> and 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 everybody was like not it i'm not gonna tell him." so i basically was like listen like we were trying to get ready for this competition like where are you dude so yeah that was not easy i remember having a full on, you know, shouting match at seven, eight o'clock in the morning. And we had um, so we were in houses on the in the Olympic Village sharing housing with I think judo. Right, Iris judo judo. And the men were right next door also sharing with judo. And I mean, at eight o'clock in the morning, I'm in the men's house. Like having a shouting match with my fencing coach and the Judo guys are like, oh my God, this is scary. Like, <laughs> stay away from the fencers. <laughs> and I had a full on shouting match at seven, 8 o'clock in the morning about practice for that afternoon. Yeah, awesome. but
0: that's that's exactly the point I, um, we were talking about too, is that you can have that drive, but once the pendulum swings too far and you haven't really dealt with all your emotions. Then when the pressure is increasing, increasing, and now we're at the Olympic games, now you have someone who is a coach who's absent. Then you have an athlete who's yelling. Um, Then you have the rest of the team who has no idea what's going on. Do we train? Because we had two training venues. We were confused as to which venue we were supposed to go to. Nothing was very smooth. So, you know, when things aren't going well and you haven't really established all of that well beforehand, when the stress and pressure is like a pressure cooker pushes down on you, things start to just crumble. So I think at the Olympic games, we did, we were pegged to be um, the first team to medal at the Olympic games, but we were two points shy. And we were two points shy of it, and I think some of it can really, in hindsight, go back down to our relationship with our coach, our relationship together, that when the going got tough, we we kind of crumbled. Because I think if we had someone a little different or um, it was a little bit more open-ended, we would have had uh, more success. And the reason I say that, and I'm not trying to blame myself for it, but um, you know, I had injured, like I said, my ankle. Uh, we were fencing with... Um, I think italy i had injured my other ankle and i told my trainer not to say anything i said don't say anything he's going to take me out he's going to pull me out i don't want to say anything and felicia at the time was fencing a lot better than me and when we were faced up against germany she should have gone second to last but you know i was always second to last but he didn't know i had a deficit because i didn't want to tell him i was afraid so i'm telling you you know, Felicia was the only one at the um, Olympic Games, uh, as a team not the only one, but in the team event, she was scoring uh, one touch after another after another against the Germans. And hindsight's twenty twenty, but, you know, having now being a performance coach, I, I know what it takes, right? I know it looks really good that we were almost third, but we were almost third.
2: So I'm curious because this isn't the first time I've heard a version of the story you're telling as far as either overtraining or being sometimes in some cases they would have referred to it as being forced to train that hard. Do you, would you, do you wish it would have been a different path for either of you? Would you trade your success for what happened? Or do you think that you, is there a way to do it without having to have traded?
0: I I think it's really interesting, right? Like I've had, I've had multiple conversations with different people. Um, some people are like, "Well, it's worth the trade. You got a scholarship to Stanford. You're an Olympian. Uh, X, Y, Z. Whatever. You have all the things." But you know, I wonder if things would have been different had we not overtrained. We don't have that scenario, right? the The assumption is is if we didn't overtrain and we weren't overpushed, we would have been not a fencer. But I'm wondering if in my career, I I didn't make the two other Olympic teams that I tried to make in 2004 and 2008. In 2008, I actually suffered from PTSD. So, you know, who's to say I wouldn't have been better? I wouldn't have been able to make an Olympic team on my terms. Um, We don't know. And so, what we do is, or what I've done is, um, you know, take what we have. And it's pretty great. Um, It definitely, definitely leaves a lot of scars and a lot of great memories and a lot of not so great memories, but we are who we are and this is the path. So I I don't, I don't know. I think that's, that's the fallacy is when people, when people talk to me about it, they're like, well, if you didn't have all those things, the mom, the coach, all those things, um, then you wouldn't have X, Y, the Stanford scholarship and the this and the that, but they're not seeing that Maybe it could have been better. I I think that's that's the fallacy is where people only see that it could only be successful if we swung the pendulum too hard in that one direction.
1: I think there's a lot of stories about people who push so hard or have these experiences and, and are become champions. Right. But there are so many other stories that are not told about people who have a little more balance in their life or a different support system that actually was positive in their lives. I think that those stories are also not being told enough as well because you can have, you can have, you can have the success, it's just, you know, it just didn't work out that way for us. And I think, I think there's a lot of um, trade-offs that were made, you know, and would I take it back? And yes, I would probably absolutely do things differently from hindsight, but I wouldn't trade it because I, I'm also not someone who's always looking backwards. I think about how do I, you know, make it better going forwards and what what can I do for my athletes? And the athletes that walk through the fencing club definitely have a very different experience than what we were doing. And, um, and I think that if, if you wanted to become a world champion, you still can do it at the fencing club and I'll provide those additional services or additional support that you need, but it doesn't have to come at such a high price. Um, You don't have to do it that way. There is no reason to do it that way. Um, And I believe that, um, I think it was a coach in LA for the LA Lakers, I think for the basketball team who had a different, Philosophy about um, becoming. Are talking about
0: Phil Jackson, Felicia?
1: Yes, and uh, thank you. <laughs> I was like, how she not on okay. the same. <laughs> like, oh, I can't remember. Um, so um, you know, it's it's about that, and um, I and I also had a different coach for the two thousand Olympics, Nat Goodhearts and she was very 2004, different for 2004. 2004 and actually the year that i um won the junior world championships and the junior world cup was not junior world championships the junior world cup um i had a different coach as well i was living in germany for that year training in germany was my gap year between high school and, and college and that was one of my best fencing years i think because even though i had a different fencing coach who also coached a lot of Epe. I just had somebody different and someone who believed in me and I knew enough about the sport to alter and take what uh, the learnings was that he was teaching me and, and use it to my style. And, and that definitely takes somebody with a lot of creativity. And, um, but that was a learned skill because also I was extreme. That's the other side of the coin of being really stubborn and doing it my way. I was like, okay, I'm here in Germany. I am, no one's giving me fencing lessons from any of the, top coaches that I wanted. So they're allowing me at least to take a lesson from this guy who's from, the, from originally from the Netherlands. We had a fantastic relationship. He just had the right kind of encouragement and things to say to me while I was competing without having me locked down or just kind of implode on myself. And even though he had a different style that I wasn't used to, I was able to kind of transform it to my style and say, okay, well, I don't like it this way, but I'll do it this way. This is more comfortable for me. And we had that dialogue. I would say, well, this is more comfortable for me. After trying it his way several times, I would say, well, I've tried this in practice and I was wondering if we can try it this way. And and he was very open to that. And I think it was, I think that was the real game changer for me. And then that I took that with me when I went to Stanford I had another coach and then also later on in 2004 when I had Nat as my coach. Um, it was very awkward for me in the beginning, but then I was able to kind of learn the things that I needed to learn from her and adapt it to my style.
2: So I'm curious, uh, could someone my age begin or, and get really good at it or does one need to start when they're younger?
0: we have fencers all ages so it's the thing about fencing is, is a learned skill so everyone starts at ground zero um and then works their way up um it's a martial art so you have to learn all the moves it might take you a little longer than a eight-year-old because they kind of are sponges and like gumby but uh but it it we have tons of uh veteran fencers and we have a very uh, robust veteran circuit so um, it's a great sport for kids. Uh, I think that we often are of a quote unquote last resort because people don't think of us a lot. But I um, but I do see a lot of the kids and the reason why Felicia and I like it is it's not just like running in a straight line or swimming in a straight line, not sorry, runners and swimmers, but um, you have to come up with strategy. So you're thinking really fast on your feet and you have to be smart. So I think a lot of the kids who are in chess club Um, you know, they're the ones who also like to fence too. We have a lot of those, uh, fencers, um, but it's a, it's a great sport. And I do think that people don't understand how athletic it actually is. I think, um, people describe it when they come in, they're like, it's a dance and it looks like this choreography. Like it's, it's none of that. It's, It's actually quite physical and it's a, it's a combat sport.
2: I'm in the minority then because i always thought it looked very physical
1: <laughs> you are actually you are
2: So it's an athletic and cerebral it sounds like
1: yeah i mean nothing gets your heart racing when someone is trying to hit you at the same time i mean think about tennis if the ball is trying to hit you at the same time and or golf like another golfer coming <laughs> at you or i don't know swimming someone's swimming in your lane and trying to like block you from from swimming i mean there's something really that like gets really heightened up and i think a lot of people who take it for the first time just to our intro courses are always very surprised like you said artist that how physical it is and how sweaty they get um you know someone's trying to hit you at the same time you're trying to defend while you're trying to hit them so it it it, the whole scenario makes it very very different um when, when you actually put on the gear
3: I think the problem solving, especially under stress and pressure, is interesting. Like Iris, I love that story you told in that last webinar that we did together about the time where you had to invent a new move. Can you share that with the listeners? Because I think it's such a cool story.
0: (laughs) Yeah, Uh, hopefully I'll do it justice here. But I was um, at—I'll have to send you uh, the video or something. It's a link. But uh, we—I was fencing at the Junior World Championships and. Suddenly, we go to 15 touches, and suddenly at about like 12, 12, uh, the referee starts to call it for the other person. We're in the United States for Junior World Championships. He's calling it for the Hungarian fencer. All of a sudden, my attacks aren't attacks anymore. So two lights will go off, and, and the referee will make the judgment call. So we get, we're fencing and we get up to about 14, 14, somehow I'm getting these one lights off so I can actually get him to give me some touches and he's giving her all the two light ones. Um, and then at some point I realize you know, my, my coach is screaming in the sidelines, my parents are in, the, um, are in the audience and the whole USA team is booing. It was just a lot of craziness and emotion and when I walk back to the line, and this is, I think, what Lauren is, is, is thinking about, is I was like, all right, well, I can either get wrapped up all in this emotion and all the outer stuff, or I could just figure out how to hit her. Because really, the ultimate goal is to get to 15. And really, I just have to think about where I'm going to hit her and where haven't I hit her. So from the walk back to the line, which is pretty short, you get like seconds. I had to think of something. And so I was like, all right, well, I haven't hit her underneath her arm yet, so, and I've been hitting her up here, and she's been blocking me and blocking me, Um, so I'm going to just move my arm like this, and hopefully that works, and so it does. One light goes off, and I win Junior World Championships, and they sort of coined at the club, uh, the fencing club, uh, especially Nat Goodhart's, one of the coaches, was like, well, now that's the iris. So now we're going to teach it because the, the move that I used wasn't something we typically use on an attack action. You we were using it in defense action. So I took a defense action, made it an attack action. Um, and so uh, things like that happen. And I think to the point that we're trying to make is the more you focus in on all the other distractions from the actual goal of hitting the target the process of hitting the target, you know, that one goal that you do have that you set out with um then you end up losing if you're just distracted
1: I understand I mean the one thing that was always so great about her fencing is there would be the most intense moments where she is literally you know even neck and neck or sort of beating one of the previous world champions you know big big big-time people that we were that were you know four-time world champion like multiple world champion like Olympian gold medalist silver medalist whomever and she would just you know that she was on her game when when she was just joking around you know and and she'd be like oh my my weapon's broken oops you know and and then she would just kind of like test and just make jokes off the side off the cuff to us watching her from the sidelines and we'd just look at each other
0: and you double
1: down I
0: i have an even better story so Back in Paris, when I won that world championships uh, at fourteen years old, right before I'm supposed to fence for the gold medal with an Italian girl, and the Italians are powerhouses, so everyone everyone's like, "Oh, she's got it in the bag." Iris says, "No, you know, she can't do it." Felicia's sitting down with me and she's like, okay, let's talk strategy. What's going on in your head? And I was like, did you see that one French kid? He's in the audience. He's so <laughs> cool. He's watching me fence. How do I look in this fencing outfit? You know? And she's like, okay. <laughs> so I think one, one part of, for me is I really had to be myself. And so when I wasn't myself, you know, kind of goofy, kind of fun. If I wasn't, um, if I wasn't looking at the situation in a broader sense, um, and then I felt that stress and pressure and going back to when you said, you know, what was it like training for the Olympic games? That was what it was when the focus was so myopic, um, when I couldn't really be myself, when I was just like turning out practice after practice, um, I got lost in the mix, so um I know when I perform really well when i 'm really myself, and that's apparently the French kid watching the french kid and the uh the cute <laughs> French boy and uh you know joking about other things
1: so
2: so that when you were saying all of that, both of your stories made me wonder this do you is there any aspect of this where you're looking you're scouting the opponents does that? So if you have an up, if you know that the, you're potentially facing an opponent, do you do any research on them?
0: Yeah, we have, um, well we had VHS, uh, <laughs> tapes, so it wasn't like it is now. I mean, now you have so much footage on athletes so you and can stats distill and everything. Yeah, yeah. Stats yeah. and Everything we didn't have that. So we would take along like a little video camera. And if we, this is the worst part is like, if you <laughs> lost, you would take the video camera and start videotaping everyone. It's like sucks, you know? it's Like no. the like injury. Like,
1: not only do I lose to you, I have to videotape you too.
0: So we would take the video camera everywhere and videotape everyone. And we did video analysis. Um, and and the thing is that the opponents don't change. So they might change one thing or another, but they don't change. And we had notebooks. Uh, Felicia and I would say to her credit as a master tech a tactician and master at um seeing all the little subtleties where you can get in and hit someone um so it was it was pretty incredible um and we would do it as a team and just kind of think about how each one of us would tackle um not tackle but (laughs) hit the other hit hit the opponent so we did a lot of that because it is strategy it's very much like chess
1: and then also like you watch the person during the event that day because you never know what um, they ate for breakfast that's not sitting well in their stomach and that's the other thing people I've always I mean so I can't I can't remember if someone said it to me but I also thought about it as like people can't read your mind and you can't read the other person's mind so you have no idea what is happening up like if they like failed like a math class that day or something like that so also just the day of competition you know just kind of watching them fence and seeing how they are always gave me a good sense of like okay is this person in the zone today or is this person like needs another cup of coffee um or do i need another cup of coffee and everybody has their different rituals and things like that so if they're out of their ritual that's the one thing that you know you could always count on is like athletes have these rituals but at the same time if you if you're someone who can be a little bit flexible and, you know, agile um, and, and face those kind of little twer- tweaks, you know, um, or, or face them actually in competition. I, I believe I was at the World Cup where I was fencing and I, was, I made the final four and I had broken all of my weapons. I didn't have any of my own weapons, so I had to borrow them from other people. Luckily, there were some left-handed people out there. And then while I was fencing one of the girls in the finals, I also broke that one. So I had to like borrow another person's weapon and I ended up winning or taking second. Um, and and it's just the it's just that ability, yes, you should have rituals and like have things that make you comfortable, but as also know that anything goes on competition day, you know, you just gotta deal with what's coming at you. And so that's why I, I usually watch the opponents or watch people during game day as well. You know, if I think they're gonna be in my bracket. I was
0: going to add something Felicia told me when I was really young is the Europeans were really, really good. So it was always just assumed. They would even get touches. Like we would, again, the two lights would go off and then the European would get the touch and the American would be like out of luck because they're like, well, the American isn't good enough to like know how to fence. Right? So that's how the attitude was. Um, and then we would watch them. I'd watch the Italians like crazy because I was using some of their techniques and, um, I sat down with Felicia I was like, I don't know about this. How are we going to be able to beat them? And she's like, Come in close. to so let me tell you something. I was <laughs> like, What?
1: I don't even remember. She that. was
0: like, There is no secret sauce. Yeah. There is no secret sauce. Everyone has what they have. Just because they're from Italy doesn't mean they have a secret weapon in their in, in their bag. There's none of that. And I think when I I became a performance coach because everyone's like, oh, you're an Olympian. You've got the secret sauce. I don't have any secret sauce. I had to figure out just like you, I put one pant leg on and the other pant leg on. You know, there is just no secret sauce. There is consistency, there's hard work, there's all of that. But I mean, I learned at a very young age, Felicia was definitely that person. When she was trailblazing, She's like, that's what I figured out on my own. I was in Germany watching them train. And there is just no secret sauce to do the same things that you and I do.
3: Important point. And I'm sure we could for sure have hours and hours more of hearing all your Olympic stuff, but I want to make sure we get to, um, the business part and you two deciding to go into business together and what that was like. So tell us about that. What led to you wanting to take over the club and what was it like, uh, owning a business together? iris (laughs)
1: iris Oy.
3: <laughs> i you know it was an adventure for
0: nine years almost ten um in 2008 i didn't make the olympic team and as i said i was um just recovering from the olympic games and not making a team and the the club wasn't doing as well as it probably could be doing so felicia and i, I called felicia she was in dubai at the time working as a consultant Um, so I said, and I had no money. So I was like, Felicia, (laughs) do you want to help me with this? Because we knew that this place was a sanctuary. Felicia said that word sanctuary for us, where we would come after school and that was our place. It was kind of like, you know, that, that was the place where our friends were. That's the place we could really be ourselves. So we need to make sure that this community center, that's really how we felt about it. Um, stayed in business. So she um, agreed to buy the fencing club with me. um, And she has, she and I were running it. I went to business school, I was there. uh, And I also had two kids. So it was kind of like, (laughs) I don't know, a firestorm in my head. I'm like, there was a lot going on. Um, (laughs) And uh, Felicia held it with a steady pace. I mean, sometimes paying employees out of her own paycheck in the beginning, um, me and my Future husband cleaning the bathrooms and the locker rooms. So I mean, it was really like a startup organization where we where we really um, where we really put everything into it. I think um, you know it. We tripled the size of the building. We uh, moved the building to somewhere else. We you know membership is is really strong. People enjoy what they get um, at the business. We have really great coaches that have been there for a really long time, and that's a testament to what we're doing um, because a lot of coaches do leave their place of employment at different fencing clubs and they leave and they're pretty transient and we've had our coaches for a long time. So we're very lucky. Um, but, you know, for us as sisters at some point, it didn't work out so great. I think at some point, um, you know, the dynamic of any relationship changes. And so I think being a little sister and being a big sister were huge parts of that. So if you think about our whole adventure together at the Olympic games, she was always the big sister. And also I would add probably similar to many immigrants is she became the sort of pseudo mom, right? Because she, I told you she had to trailblaze for the both of us. Uh, my parents didn't know you know, this country that well. So, um, So at some point that dynamic kind of came to a head um it didn't lead to us ending anything i you know i started a different chapter but i think that's important to say that like you can start somewhere with someone change over nine years which is a long time mm-hmm. and then at some point it meets the dynamic of the situation needs to change and lauren i know you work with a lot of uh, businesses that are like that and i think it's to our credit that we survived that you know there was a period of time where it was hard we brought in someone third party to say hey like a lauren hey, can you help us uh, figure this out? Because at the end of the day, we wanted to be sisters. We didn't want to be owners. We wanted to care for each other like we had always done. So we wanted to get back to that. And I think we did very, very good job of doing that.
3: What it's do you think, a, Felicia? She's going to be like, no comment. <laughs> no comment. <laughs>
1: No, I mean, it It was definitely like a, because it was really in bad shape. It was losing a lot of money. Um, we didn't have a lot of, members started coming back in because actually Iris was teaching a lot of classes and bringing additional energy in. Um, not that the other coaches weren't good. It's just, um, there just needed to be a lot more um, structure. And so, um you know and the old owner we knew and and we we were able to um it was also an emotional situation for her because she had it for so long and so we 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 agreed to um taking it over and um kind of putting our stamp on it and i think for me it's definitely something i look back something i've always wanted to do but i wasn't able to actually execute it because I was busy being a management consultant, doing other things. And my sister was in Rochester and she wants, she had the passion, she had excitement and enthusiasm. And so, and then we had to navigate that that was not easy um, because I had my own ideas about how businesses should be run. Um, And I also didn't want to keep working my paycheck to other people's paychecks. I was like, this has to just generate its own revenue stream. You know, it has to stand up on its own two feet. And it did. So um, and we have great coaches and I think it's a lot of the systems that we have in place that keep it still where it is and we make tweaks around the edges. If we do need to make big changes, we, we discuss it as a team. And that's where Iris really um, bring, brings, continues to bring and brought to the fencing club was this idea of bringing everybody's voice to the table and making sure that everybody had a say um, I, I was a little bit more dictatorial at the time, <laughs> but she had this, she has a great way of bringing, um, a, an idea, uh, the sense of uh, inclusivity into the discussions. Um, and I also think that, you know, she has everybody's best intentions in mind, not just the coaches, but the parents and the kids and, um, and the experience, just like the customer's experience. And I think she brings that people really, really gravitate to her. I'm, I'm obviously the quieter one that kind of sits back and lets things, you know, moves things from behind. And that's where I'm comfortable, and she's more comfortable, you know, talking to people, talking with the parents, um, you know, you know, being front and center and just really interacting. And that interaction really brought in a lot more students and, you know, helped bring this community and culture together, which even though she's not an owner anymore, she still is part of the fencing club and people still relate to her. And even if she comes in after being away for months, you know, she has this, you know, natural gravity about her that just kind of brings people in and, and people really, you know, migrate to her. So I think, um, you know, it's still nice having her around in that, in that sense.
0: I'm going to cut and paste this for resume use, (laughs)
1: Uh,
0: but it's, it's, you know, we gave each other edges that we didn't have. Right, so I leaned a lot into care, which can be very, very difficult in a business when people could could take that um, and take advantage of it. I think Felicia really had that edge and then on her edge, she learned about that care piece for me, so I think um, not that she didn't care, but it was very business, right So when you're trying to make ends meet it you're um and balancing the budget, that's a different mindset, right and my mindset was how do we get everyone uh, behind an idea. And so I think the two of us definitely uh, worked well together in that space. And I think it's important um, that in the beginning, we didn't know that about ourselves. Um, And so I think the more we gained awareness about how we worked, I think we worked um, a lot better. Um, My favorite conversation every, um, every year was, where's your box? you will live in this box and I will live in this box and take care of these things. Please do not send me emails about these things because I am taking care of them. So it's like, that was like, my favorite conversation is like, where's your box stay in your box, Cyrus. Uh, so, cause that's the edge of care, right? Like I cared about everything. So I wanted to be all hands on deck on everything. And bleeding actually, into the she, box. yeah, she's like, you're bleeding in the box. And also I think the other thing too, is, um, Important for co-owner, co-owners to really know each other's personality. Even though we're sisters, you know things like time, right? Like the way I feel time and the way Felicia feels time. I'm like, well, I asked you at five o'clock this morning to get this done, and it's now seven thirty in the morning, and I need it finished. And she's like, I don't know what planet you're on, but like <laughs> this isn't going to be done. You know, so it's like it. Even though we were sisters, we still didn't know each other in the business mm-hmm. sense, and I think that was almost even harder because we kind of could tell each other things, uh, probably using the F word too much. Um, when when really in a business sense, you kind of needed to like step back and cool off. We never stepped back and cooled off. I think in the very mm-hmm. beginning, we just were like, let's just yell about this over Skype. <laughs> um, and And that I think was very hard for both of us is, and I think it did get smoother. And then it hit a wall just because we, I was, you know, transitioning into some other things. Um, but, um, but yeah, I think it's, it's hard. You have to know each other. You have to understand there's going to be some of that tension as you get to know each other and how you work.
1: Yeah. I mean, we had definitely had your plenty of shouting matches. We had, a lot of shouting matches in the parking lot. It would just would get uncomfortable enough in the building that we'd have to leave and go outside and just. And then we always had a referee that came with us, that we just <laughs> like push us <laughs> apart. Yeah, and, remember and that the Halloween
0: ref- where like the, one of our managers dressed up like a referee and then stood between <laughs> us. So I, it's just hard. You I mean running a business is stressful, and just because you think you know each other.
1: Yeah, and, and and often people think, you know, I I don't like it here or I'm I'm I want my own thing. Just because you're really good at a skill or a trade doesn't make you a good business person. Um, so that's always a challenge when people try to set up their own clubs. And I think that's where we did a good job, where both of us knew we were not like going to be the coach twenty-four-seven. So we needed to enable a system that allowed for the coaches to coach, but still we would be running kind of the programs there's this layer of oversight and business that that we brought to it so um i think that that's one of the secrets that not secrets but i think that's one of the pieces that that help us is that we have this kind of separation a little bit
3: was it hard felicia being across the world i mean and is it still hard to run a business like that It is not easy.
1: Um, It was harder in the beginning, because we were trying to kind of put our culture and our mark on the fencing club. And I think that in the beginning, I mean, I was only away for in Dubai for about a year or so. And then I moved back to Rochester. And then, um, and I was still struggling with, you know, what kind of responsibility am I going to take on here at this club, because I thought, you know, this would be different, you know, Um, and then you know, my sister and I, like I said, we would have these like enormous like battles about what we wanted to do. Um, And then, but it always ended up working out, you know, we always find a way to just find a solution or find like a even ground to kind of come to. Somewhere in the middle and it wasn't a compromise. I think people think about compromising in a negative way, but it's not at all because it was like, okay, she actually brought something important to the table. So I think I really need to kind of absorb that, you know, even though I'm pushing back really hard. Um, And then I think now because we had set up a lot of systems and because of the way that the fencing club was made programmatically that we were Kind of more of the owners and that we had a staff of coaches and that we have a certain set of programs in place that that it set up certain systems so that it didn't need um us to be there 24 7 and and it requires oversight i mean of course i would love to be here more often i can do a lot more if i'm here every day but that's not the case right so i'm splitting my time between here and egypt and so i need to I need to kind of keep it realistic of what my expectations are and then, um, but still managing a program and a system that allows for the coaches to work in a way that um, allows for creativity, but also allows, you know, people to come in and enjoy the experience. So that that culture still is in place very much so.
0: Mm-hmm. I just would add a kudos to you because there's a lot of fencing clubs that are closing. Um, we're losing university programs. Um, and Stanford just is one of them. Brown yeah. is another, I believe. And uh, there's another fencing club, a prominent one in Texas, that just closed. Uh, because of the pandemic, they cannot stay open and keep the overhead. Felicia owns um, the building. And she continues to offer classes. Um, and that's that's not a small feat during the pandemic. And I want to be very clear about that, um, especially in a small city like
2: ours. For Sure. And what you were saying earlier um, about what planet do you live on that you think this will be done this afternoon, when we were in the lab together, I had to <laughs> learn to start waiting for Lauren to give her estimate on how long it would take us to do something, because they would give us a task, <laughs> and they would ask us how long it would take, and I would always cut it way too short, and she looked at me one day, it and was she's very like... very
3: optimistic, <laughs> <laughs> like you're setting us up for failure. <laughs> yeah.
2: So that, that, that rung true when you said that. <laughs> um, so what is the biggest takeaway from your story
1: oh boy <laughs> that's an interesting question um i don't know there's so many different chapters in my life so far i think the biggest takeaway is just kind of um constantly learn you're always learning um no matter what you're faced with there's a things go up and down but those things are temporary right so if if you're kind of hitting a rut or something you know there's there's always a way out you just sometimes time is the element that you need to wait for so but i think that i'm so glad that i have my support system whether it was during the olympics it was my teammates and my sister and you know now i have my husband um you know having you know, trusted people you can go to and just kind of talk through things or just kind of like help you kind of think things through. Um, that and just, you know, and and just kind of having kind of that learning and that agile mindset, so. Awesome,
0: That's hard because we definitely talked a lot, of, a lot. Um, but one of the, um, besides the there is no secret sauce, I want to put that back out there, there is no secret sauce. Um, I think when people strive for success, they sort of mix up this drive, like this inner drive and some good drive with some negative spaces of trying to overcompensate for things. Um, Or the pendulum can swing to a certain place. And I think that when Felicia and I are talking we want to share our story because ours was one that we definitely overtrained, we overdid, and we were very pushed. And not to say that those things didn't bring us success, but it is possible that having more of um, a balanced sort of outlook, and Felicia did even express, you know, when I did go to other coaches that allowed me to be more creative, it took a little bit of time, but I I was very successful and I consider those successful times. I think that we confuse that this like working a lot, um, you know, grit, strength, are grin and bear it, yell, you know, all this negative deficit piece, it you will run into a wall at the end of the day. So I think the one thing I learned is balance is key if you wanna have long-term success. And that goes into what Felicia is saying too is, you know, just ride it out because it's not a straight line to being successful and it's up and down and the last thing i would say is make sure you define your success how you want to not have someone else define that for you because that was always for me having layers of people in my life it was always someone else's success i was chasing my sisters my coaches my mothers so define what your success is make sure it is yours and then consistently go back to it and say hey Is this where i really want to go because it's such a moving target sometimes because you change so how about that same
3: true with business right it's a moving (laughs) target at times (laughs) things are always changing
2: (laughs) yeah that gave me goosebumps so (laughs) Um, so there it actually made me lose my train of thought there was something else i was going to ask
1: so good.
3: That's it. It's a wrap. It was a yeah. mic drop. Like that was that was the end there. Exactly.
2: Um, anything we haven't asked that uh, you want to share with the listeners?
1: I don't know. We covered so much ground today. Wow. I agree. Um, I, I think the one thing is if if um, you have children and you are looking for something for your children to do, of course, try fencing. Um, <laughs> No, but I, I think the thing is what, where my parents did really well is, um, you know, they had me try different activities and my father was like, you know what, you're going no matter what. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, sometimes you have to do the no matter what thing you have to. And he was right. You you don't know if you don't li- you don't know if you don't like it, if you don't try it first. You know, I know that I don't like to eat liver. I've tried it. It doesn't taste good. Um but, um, you know, in that positive, in that kind of positive reinforcement, sometimes you just gotta give it a try. And there is no one sport for every person like, you know, and I think having the variety out there is great. so, you know, sometimes we work with archery, sometimes we work with martial arts. And I think kids, kids need an outlet. They need to stay active. It's just really, you know, sound mind and a sound body. I think the Greeks had it right. And, um, and I think just having an outlet, even as an adult, just some kind of activity, you know, for me during the pandemic, and I also had a recent injury, I herniated a disc in my neck. Oh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, and uh, and I'd just been walking, just trying to just get some activity in there. So I would say, you know, give things a try and then, you know, see how you like it.
2: Anything else for you, Iris?
0: No, I think that's it in a nutshell.
2: Awesome.
3: Iris, well, uh, like I had my mic drop moment. And then I paused, <laughs> mammy, and I dropped the mic and then
0: everything froze.
2: <laughs> so, well, thank you so much for joining us. We have uh, appreciate always whenever uh, Olympians will come on and speak with us. So your story was fascinating and we appreciate your time.
1: Thanks for having us. Thank you.
2: The Path Distilled is hosted by Kevin Harris and Lauren Tashman, created and produced by Kevin Harris. The content is copyrighted by The Path Distilled, all rights reserved.